In a career that has spanned more than three decades, Stephen Curtis Chapman is the most awarded artist in Christian music history. Stephen, it's so great to see you, bro. How are you? I am good, Kurt. It is great to see you too, brother. Always so fun to connect with you. And uh, man, thanks for, thanks for doing this with me. Stephen, right now, I know you're celebrating a big deal. You, you are celebrating 50 yeah. number one hits. <laughs> That's amazing that, that these songs in your heart came out your mouth, went into other people's ears, and it made such a difference to them that it pushed these songs to the top of the charts. What, what does that feel like to you to have a, a song chart at number one? Does it make all that hard work and sleepless nights worth it? It's funny. I think about the things that it you know, that it means and the things that it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a number one song, you know, there's all the things that go along with that radio charts and, you know, all of those things that, uh, that are good and important, but are just, you know, kind of part of the business that I'm in. But what it, what it represents to me is number one, people who have worked really hard around me, you know, this because of what you do. Um, you know, we're the guys right now on camera. There's a room full of people here, room full of people there making all this happen. And, and we're the guys that, you know, that, that end up on the, you know, the album cover on the TV screen, uh, in the film in the, you know, whatever. And yet we're here. I, there's a, a saying that I love so much. In fact, I wrote a little song recently when I was given an award, um, and used this, this phrase, I'm a turtle on a fence post. And if you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know, one thing, he didn't get there by himself. So that's kind of how I feel about every number one song. You know, I, I'm here. I got to that place, not, you know, because I climbed up there by myself. But obviously, first and foremost, God allowed me to have this platform, which still blows my mind as a, you know, uh, hillbilly from Paducah, Kentucky. Yeah. I'm um, writing these songs and with a heart just saying, God, I want to try to encourage other people and use the gifts that you've given me. And, um, and then all of these people come and help make that happen, um, you know, in the process. But then ultimately what those songs mean, and, and you said it, is that somewhere riding in their car, somewhere, you know, at, at the office, somewhere really struggling at a time when they just need somebody to come and, and speak something to their heart that maybe just a spoken word couldn't even do. And that's what music can do. Uh, those songs have found their way into the hearts and lives of people for now, gosh, 35 plus years. Um, and that is just amazing. Yeah. Stephen, something you just said about being from Paducah, Kentucky reminded me of a song because I know all your songs. I've, I've got like the anthology inside of my head because <laughs> I was just rocking out and dancing to all of your songs. Uh, and I'm, you just made me think of on, in a little Kentucky town on the edge of the Tennessee River and before your feet even hit the ground, I started the dance. there was stuff going on inside of your head. And the Lord of the Dance was one of my favorite songs. And, and you're right. You're, it, it, that's the turtle on the fence post lyric right there is that there is the dancer, there is the singer, there is the song, but there's the Lord of the dance. There's the Lord of the song. And, and he's right. the one that puts us where we are right. so that we could minister his gifts to other people. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm geeking out because I'm talking to Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, let, let's go back for a moment to 1987. 1987, uh, I'm, I'm on growing pains and I'm rocking a mullet. Oh yeah, baby. Yes, you were. There's a good chance that you were too. And that's the year that you I were came to the, mullet there. <laughs> the year I came to faith in Christ. I came out of atheism 
into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus the same year you released your first album. What did releasing your first album teach you about music, about God? Do you, do you remember what it was like? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's so much. I mean, golly, there's so many layers to answer that question. We, have, uh, we need to do like a four-hour program, and we'll just break it all down. But, but to do the quickest version I can, what a cool connection of our stories. You probably told me that before. No, I don't think I did because I just learned about 1987 and your first album. And that was the year that you came to faith, which is what a cool thing. So we've been on literally on the journey, on the great adventure for all these years <laughs> together now, because that was my first record. Listen, I started out, that first record for me was uh, incredible, you know, miracle dream come true. I, I, I'd, as a kid playing a guitar, I wasn't even a singer. My brother's the singer. Um, I was, I, the way I found my voice to express the things that God was doing in my heart was through writing songs. Um, and, and so I started doing that in high school. And I had this crazy dream that I wonder if I could ever make a record. I'm not really a, a great singer. I'm not, the, you know, one of those guys with the big voice hits the high notes at the end and all that stuff, especially at that time, which was what was most known in Christian music. Um, I was this singer-songwriter kind of guy, and there was this amazing uh, just opportunity that God orchestrated totally with a record label in, in Chatsworth, California, Sparrow Records. They were like the coolest of the cool. Wait, Ch did you say Chatsworth, California? Yeah, yeah. I went to Chatsworth High School in no California. Way. Okay. Bro, we're like... I don't know. We were we have these we have these mysterious connections that we didn't even know about. <laughs> that is crazy. Well, that's where Sparrow Records was based and that's where first time I came to California in 1987 to do my first photo shoot and to meet with my record label that had signed me was to Chatsworth, California, Billy Ray Hearn, Bill Hearn, uh, Peter York, all these guys that were so instrumental in me having the the platform to do what I do. But even in the beginning there was this uncertainty, like this guy doesn't really do what most Christian music does right now. It's kind of a, you know, it's it's different and him and his guitar and he's got a mullet and he's kind of got a, a, at the time, even more than now, a Southern twang. My wife, Mary Beth, that, that has had 39 years now to kind of work that out of me as a Midwest girl. But man, I was as country as, as you could get. And, and yet God just kind of gave me this opportunity to record these songs and this record label that said, we don't really know what to do with this guy. But when we listen to these songs, it just, we feel like God's saying something in a unique way. And so we're going to give this guy a chance. I mean, honestly, that's where it started. We're going to give him a chance. They sent a song called Weekdays out to Christian radio and, um, and the song did really well and people responded and I got the opportunity to make a second record. I mean, it was such a Honestly, where it began, the expectation, the idea of, is this going to be like a, you know, a big, long-lasting career? It really was not that. It was like, hey, let's give this guy a shot. We feel like there's something here. God's speaking something in, in kind of a unique way uh, through this guy's music. And so that was, that was where it started. And if you remember the firsthand record, uh, I, there was a song called My Redeemer is Faithful and True. And it's one that I have sung almost every concert for the last 36 years. I've re-recorded it two or three times. And brother, that's really the song. That is the message that I feel like, you know, everything about the last 36 years, that 1987 
beginning when you were starting your journey and I was starting my musical journey. It all really is in cap, it kind of encapsulated in that, in that message of that song. God has been faithful and true um, to give me this incredible platform and opportunity. I also recognize that, that you became a musical artist, a father and a husband roughly the same time, right in that same time period. That's kind of like me too. When I was on Growing Pains, I married my girlfriend on the show. We got married and uh, got a big career going on. And then we started a family and we've got six kids. You've got a bunch of kids. What was it like for you being famous, getting married, having kids? How did you balance all of that? The best way uh, you know, to read my, my journals in that time uh, is to listen to those songs because you can hear it. His strength is perfect when our strength is gone, when my strength is gone. All these songs are very personal songs. I will be here, written for my wife, you know, after my mom and dad went through a divorce and, and our hearts were broken and I'm looking at my wife, I'm looking at my family, I'm on the road, I'm getting these incredible opportunities I never imagined. And yet I'm saying, God, the only commitment of all of these that matters besides my my commitment to to follow you is to love my wife and to be the dad and the husband that that you've called me to be and that, that you've you've given this this gift of my family to me how do I honor that and the the conversations I would sit in a room with pastors and friends and counselors uh, and one in particular that uh, I, I walked in and I said guys these opportunities are more than I ever imagined I just won a Grammy award I mean things were going more than I could have ever imagined. And yet I felt like I was failing my, my wife and my family. I'm on the road. Mary Beth's home with at now two, three little ones, just had our third child. And I'm like, can I even do this? Is this even right, you know, to, to be gone and to be doing all these things in this big, you know, public way um, in the spotlight? But my family, you know, is I'm, I'm watching the toll it's taken on my wife. And I literally remember walking in with these guys and just kind of falling apart, just breaking down and saying, guys, I don't know if I even should keep doing this. That day, and I'll always remember it because I remember my pastor, Scotty Smith, who walked with me, shepherded me and my family, just journeyed with us all these years. Most of my songs, Lord of the Dance, I mean, you start listening to them. They're his sermons that I just turned into music and into songs. That's really all I've been doing. So the secret's out now. Um, I just take his messages and sermons and, and set them to music. But I remember him looking at me and saying, Stephen, Here's the deal. I got to remind you, you, you're saying you feel like a failure. You're not enough. And you know what? You're not enough. But Jesus, let me remind you of the cross. Let me remind you that Jesus said, it's finished. It's done. He has done the work that you're still trying to do. Now, do we need to be wise? Do you need to counsel? Do you need people around you? We got to help you figure out how to love your family, how to navigate this, or if God is saying it's time to make a change or whatever. But here's the, here's the reality. God's taken failure and you not being enough out of the equation because that's who Jesus is and that's where your trust and your hope is. And I wrote a song that day, walked out with this, this, this feeling of, of surrender, freedom, and just, God, I'm going to just trust you with it again. And I sat down and got my guitar and I said, I started out this morning in the usual way, chasing thoughts inside my head of all I had to do today. And got to the chorus, it's like, saddle up your horses. And that's when I wrote The Great Adventure out of that. So all these songs have all come from those kind of moments of saying, okay, God, I got to surrender this again. Well, thank you for sharing all these, these 
intimate details of, of your life, things in your heart and in your head, because uh, we can relate to them. I could relate to them. In fact, your personal song for your wife, I will be there or I will be here, ended up being my wedding song with my wife, Chelsea. That was our song. No way. In, in, <laughs> at, at the church. That's our wedding song. Um, Stephen, I, I'm so glad that God gave you the discernment to know what details to share with the rest of us, to encourage us, and what details to keep private uh, between you and your loved ones. Um, and, and, and I love that you are always being brought back to the cross and the gospel by your pastor, uh, Scotty, I think is, is his name. And, and we all need a wise old owl like that. We need somebody who has a perspective that we might not have because they're up higher on this perch seeing the big picture and say, remember the cross, um, don't get stuck in the performance trap. And guys like you and me can, can get stuck there because we spend our life performing for others and we tend to feel like we do well when we hear the applause and, and, and get rewarded for that. Oh, and so yeah. often that can lead us to think yeah. that, well, my most important audience is God. So, so I wanna give my best performance for him. But as soon as we get into that performance trap with God, we're toast because it's not about performance, right? It's about grace and understanding that our worth is not found in pursuing the praise of people or pursuing the praises of God. Uh, or in our accomplishments, it's understanding that in Christ, we have all that we need because God is a good shepherd. And, and, mm. and we, we just, we get to be grateful Amen. and do what he tells us to do. Stephen, you have a really special event coming up in Nashville celebrating 50 number one hits. Tell us about that. It really is exciting. We, we've, um, I haven't done a concert in my hometown here in Nashville for quite a while. I've had a few occasions over the years to do concerts with the symphony uh, a few years ago in Carnegie Hall with this incredible incredible symphony um, uh, Kennedy Center um, a few places like that and but never here at home uh, to do a full concert of my music uh, with a, a, a symphony in the room and it's nothing like it I love it so much um, I'm gonna do that here in Nashville there's a beautiful amazing new place called the Fisher Center on the campus of Belmont University um, this beautiful new hall, performance hall. And uh, so I'm going to get to do a concert of my music, um, celebrating a lot of things, actually, that night. Um, we're celebrating the 50 number one songs over the last 35 years, plus years now, which is obviously unbelievable. I won't even be able to get all those in to the night, but kind of highlighting a lot of those songs that people know, and hopefully they're singing along with me and the orchestra, the symphonies playing and uh, my band, it's going to be an amazing night of music. It also happens to fall on the weekend that we're celebrating 20 years of Show Hope. We've got a lot of our Show Hope family and friends coming in to be with us that weekend in Nashville. So they're going to be at that concert. So it's going to be a, a really amazing night. TBN is going to be there to record it, capture it, um, and, and get to share it with people uh, through TBN. Um, so I'm super thrilled. Can't Can't believe I get to get to play these songs in this way and get to share it with so many people. So yeah, excited about that. Stephen, something else that we have in common is that we are both adoptive fathers. Yep. My wife, Chelsea, and I have six kids. We adopted our first four children. And for you and Mary Beth, it was the opposite of that. How did adoption become part of the Chapman family? Our story um, 
it, it started with our daughter, our oldest, Emily, uh, who now is 37, uh, and mama of three uh, little girls um, who are growing up so fast, call me Pop-Ops now. So, you know, it's it's amazing, kind of crazy how the story continues to unfold. But um, Emily was 11 years old, went to Haiti with her mom on a trip, uh, just a missions trip with our church, her little youth group at church, and spent time with kids that didn't have a family. Came home at 11 years old, said, Mom and Dad, God has told me, showed me that we are supposed to do something about the fact that there are millions of children in the world without a family. Uh, who need a home and look at our home, look at my room. We could share, I could share my room with two or three others, you know. So I think God has told me we're supposed to adopt. And as the story would unfold for us, that we would eventually about, gosh, probably within two or three years from her starting that prayer campaign for our family. And boy, you want to talk about learning how God, you know, takes young men and women to speak into our lives, our own kids sometimes in profound ways, um, you know, out of the mouths of babes, uh, it, it, God would really transform our family incredibly. First, through our adoption of Shoei uh, in China. We'd go to China in March of 2000, uh, the year 2000, and meet our daughter, Shohana, that we'd bring home uh, and thought that was it. Man, we thought, gosh, this is it. It's transformed our family. This is what a picture of the gospel. I mean, all those things that you know and have experienced, there's nothing I think it's John Piper that says it's the visible gospel adoption. You know, it's the it's it's this tangible experience or expression of what we, as the sons and daughters of the living God, have experienced. We get to reenact that. We get to, you know, see that kind of unfold in real time when we enter into the miracle of adoption. And um, so it transformed our family. We didn't know God was not just doing, you know, that, but was doing way more than we could have even imagined, and we would adopt Stevie Joy, and then adopt Maria. So that's how we would add three daughters to our family of three, Emily, Caleb, and Will Franklin, who were our biological uh, kids, and then adopt Shoei and Stevie Joy and Maria. And out of that, we would even start, uh, God would just give us this incredible privilege of starting something called Show Hope, which is an organization, a nonprofit um, that helps families just comes alongside them in the adoption process, particularly on the financial side. That's really where it started with so many Christian families, amazing families that would say we would open our home and our hearts to a child that needs a family, but we just can't afford it. Yeah. And so we began to help families uh, in that process through the work of Show Hope. And that's been an incredible, unbelievable thing now for 20 years. We're celebrating 20 years of the work of Show Hope. Um, and it's, it's just been, it's been an amazing part of our journey. When I think of the scriptures as a Christian, we're going, wait a minute, Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Mo where would we be without Moses? And then Jesus himself was the result of an unplanned pregnancy from Mary's human perspective. And then he's adopted yeah. by Joseph as his, his father who raises him as his son. And then we get adopted into God's family. Uh, we're not his natural born children, but when we're born again by the spirit of God, we enter into this royal family. So man, adoption is so cool. Uh, my wife is also an adopted child. So when I think of the blessing that has come into my life from adoption, my wife, our four adopted children, we have our two natural born children, Olivia and James. And so my whole family exists 
because of the beauty of adoption. Um, I'm so glad you guys have poured in to show hope. How in the world do you find time to do all of that uh, when you've got a career, you've got kids, you've got grandkids? Uh, does your family help with that? Isn't your daughter running the thing now? Our dream at the beginning was to help. We, we started out you know, with, with just people that said, man, we would love to adopt if we could just afford it. My wife and I, you know, she'd come home and say, all right, I'm writing them, I'm writing them a check and we're going to help them because we got to help, you know, as many families as we can. What if we could help a hundred families? Maybe if I tell the story, do TV interviews, do, you know, sing about it from stage, maybe there are others that would come help us help those families. Our dream, our big dream was a hundred families. Well, as God would do more than we could ask or imagine, which is what he's always up to if we just have eyes to see it and heart to receive it. Um, We've now celebrating 20 years, over 80, I think it's about 8,600, almost approaching 9,000 uh, families now and, and children that we've been able to kind of be a part of that miracle, which is just, you know, represented way more than we could have imagined. Show Hope has grown, and over the years, these last years, to not only do that work, but really pour into families, and you would know this, and you being in the adoption, you know, communities that you are. We like to say adoption is gloriously hard. There is a part of it, the realities of children that have, you know, trauma from just the being abandoned and institutionalized and all those things that come with, you know, what we have learned. There's medical uh, issues, there are emotional uh, issues, there, there are needs that are, that go outside of the, even the scope of maybe just raising, you know, children that are biologically yours. Um, and how do we address those? How do we equip these families? We just got to, we just got to listen and get in, you know, get in the river and dive in, uh, you know, to where it is he's taken us and, and meet these families and these kids. And so that's been a part of what Show Hope has done. And so it's just, it's grown uh, in ways, again, that we never even knew in the beginning were needs that would, would be realized. And, and so in the process, Emily goes off to Baylor University, our, our daughter, and gets her education, then goes to Belfast, Northern Ireland with her new husband. They get married, and they go to Ireland for her to do some continued studies, Bible uh, school there, ends up getting her master's in theology, comes back home with our granddaughter, uh, and, um, and then eventually moves into a role at Show Hope, the very thing that started with her prayers. This is the way God, you know, we make our plans, God directs our paths, and she ends up coming back and for a season, uh, became the executive director of Show Hope. But God has raised up this incredible staff and these people. Um, our daughter-in-law, actually, our whole family's woven into it. And so we've all kind of been woven in to the story and um, just continuing to, to tell the story any way we can. Stephen, for, for families who might be listening to us right now, wondering, how can I, how can I find one of these children who need to be adopted? And how do I find the financial assistance that I need? Uh, the process seems to be challenging. Um, you know, the, the policies in place don't seem to be in favor of parents with willing hearts adopting these kids. Uh, wh what would you say to them? And, and how can they find the help they need? Well, first of all, yeah, I'd say there is help. And, and there, is, uh, there are people who want to walk with you um, and, and you know, just take you by the hand, uh, you know, and, and kind of lead you through that, that process. That's really become, again, the, the, the vision of Show Hope, the mission of Show Hope. And there are people 
that we have connected with um, that, that God has just put that passion in their heart. Showhope.org is, is a great place to start. Um, that's our website. There's also, we have a website called howtoadopt.org. And it's just all one big word, howtoadopt.org. That is, a, a, it's a, something that, a tool that we created with Show Hope over the last several years to really take a family who just says any of those things you said. How do we, where do we even start? How do we know if an agency is, is reputable? And really, because sadly, as with everything, it, where there's good, you know, there, there's, there's darkness and there's an enemy trying to, you know, to infiltrate. And, and so, you know, there's, there, there are practices. How do we know that, you know, these are the best practices? This is an agency with integrity. How do, you know, all of those things. And so we have really made it part of our mission to say, how can we equip families in those, in those ways? How can we help take them by the hand and say, let's just, we'll give you information, no pressure, no expectation, but we just want to give you the information that you're looking for. And from what we've learned, the people that we've connected with, man, again, I love you guys. Thank you. And Chelsea, man, for all that you are doing and and um, continue to do uh, to make people aware of this. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.